Father, in Jesus' name, in a place in eternity, God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're high and lifted up, Lord God, and that your hand, Lord, is moving over all the earth, Lord God, this morning. We gather in your name to honor you, to worship you, Lord, and we pray, God, bless us with your presence this morning. Touch and minister every need today. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Jesus, that we can lean on you. Every situation, Jesus, we can run to you, Lord. Mercy 
difficult for you. Yeah. 
Thank you, Lord. You break the chains. Thank you, Lord. You disperse the heaviness. Lord, we love you and praise you. We thank you for the moving of your spirit, the demonstration of your power in our lives. Not only do you forgive us, but you heal us and you mend us. You free us. You strengthen us. You lift us up. You restore areas that have been damaged. You mend places that have been bruised. You give us understanding. You give us revelation. You stir our hearts with a new strength and a new expectation. We thank you, Lord, that you break chains and you impart divine life to your people, that you fill us and you refresh us and you give us the grace we need to live out this life, to walk this walk of faith, to do your works and to be your vessels. We thank you for that, Lord. Now continue to touch our hearts and speak to our minds. Continue, Lord, to bring healing to the hurting, refreshing to the weary. Teach us your ways that we might walk in your will. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, God bless you. sensitive and tender. For I will not always speak to you in a loud, strong, trumpeting voice. But very often in the stillness of the soul, as you wait in my presence, as you just meditate upon my word, my spirit will communicate to you. My spirit will give advice to you. My spirit will give insight and wisdom to you. But it will not come in the hustle and the bustle. It will not come while rushing here and rushing there. For I will not always trumpet a loud, strong voice to thee, but as you wait upon me, in the stillness of the soul, as you meditate upon my word and just give an ear and just draw near, in places like that, I will give you the answers you've looked for and I'll cause you to recognize things you have not seen. My spirit is not always loud, strong, a blasting horn. But very often it is that still, small voice in the quietness of the soul that comes to them that will take time to wait on me and draw near to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, teach us how to draw near and how to wait and just be quiet before you. Teach us how to have an ear to hear that still, small voice. For you said that the sons and daughters of God are those that are led by the Spirit of God. And Lord, we do want to be led by your Spirit. So help us, Lord, to take that time to be still and be quiet and just listen and just worship and just wait in your word and wait in your presence that we might be led of you and we might have your mind and we might be able to stay in your step. 
In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Sometimes you got to get quiet and wait on God. Amen. In the busyness of the hour, some people are so busy that, you know, it's only a foghorn. They get your attention. But if you're waiting for a foghorn, you're going to miss God a whole bunch. Because the Holy Spirit will speak as we wait on him. As we just take time to read up that book and meditate on that word. And, and just allow him as we worship him to speak to our hearts and put his hand on certain things. In the quietness and rest, we'll hear his voice and be led of the Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see everyone out. Um, young people, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. And there goes Sister Amy in the group. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Good to see you, man. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2. I want to talk about taking your friend to a miracle. Taking your friend to a miracle. And this is an exciting story, and we want to dig into it. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2, if we can begin with verse 1. The Bible says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now there were some teachers and some Pharisees of the law who were sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, sir, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want to talk about taking your friend to a miracle. Jesus in this story had just returned from a, a ministry tour of Galilee. And he's back at his home base. And when the people heard, they came out in great numbers. They gathered. The house was filled to overflowing. The doors, the windows, outside in the yard. And it was a mixed group that was there. There were the sophisticates and there were the common folk. There were scholars. There were lay people. But they all packed the house to hear Jesus expound that word. Luke tells us that the power of the Lord was present in a special way to heal the sick. It must have been some atmosphere. It must have been some service. Now, as Jesus was ministering the word, a very unusual thing happened. A, a group of men had removed and dug through part of the, the grass roof and lowered a friend on a mat. He was a paralyzed man. He just lowered him through to get him to Jesus. And then Jesus did something that astonished the crowd. He pronounced the man's sins forgiven. And then after that, 
he commanded the man to rise up, walk, and go home. Now, usually the miracle that we see is the physical one, but we're going to look a little closer, and we're going to look at three miracles that happened that day. Our outline is very simple. There'll be the miracle of Christ's perception, how he was able to see things that others didn't see. We're going to look at that miracle. Then, of course, there's the miracle of Christ's power. The Lord Jesus was able just to speak the word, and life came into those lame limbs, and the man got up, walked, in full view of everyone, went on home. And then, of course, the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of Christ's pardon, the pardon for sins, the forgiveness of sins that can only come through Jesus Christ. So number one, let's begin the miracle of Christ's perception. Jesus Christ perceives, he sees, he knows, he measures the hearts of men. He saw the hearts of the four faithful friends. He saw the heart of the one paralyzed man. He saw the hearts of the Pharisees and the teachers and the religious leaders that were there. The scripture is very clear to us. Hebrews 4 and 13. The Bible says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. In fact, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He perceives the Lord knows. In fact, many of us are familiar with the Old Testament story from 1 Samuel when they were looking um, for a king and the prophet Samuel is trying to size up this one family and he's missing it because he's looking at the outward. In 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said, Samuel, do not consider the appearance, the height, all those outward things. Man looks at the outward appearance, Samuel, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the character, looks at the motives. He looks at the sincerity. He looks at the reverence of the heart. You know, friends, our hearts are an open book to God, are they not? The Bible teaches that our hearts are an open book to God, that Jesus still looks beyond what others see, and he perceives what's really there. He knows that his diagnosis is never wrong. So first, let's look at the friends of this paralyzed man. The Bible says in verse 5 that Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. He saw their hearts, the faith in their hearts. He saw the action, the response, the reality, the expression of their lives. Everyone else just most likely saw a group of friends that had been lowering earnestly a dear friend of theirs, trying to get him to Jesus. But Jesus saw more than that. The Bible says he saw their faith. These men loved their friend. And these men believed that Jesus could and Jesus would make a difference in the life of their friend. So Jesus looked up and he saw four men lowering a sick friend. Now in those days, the the roofs were flat. You could kind of go up there and use it as a patio. The roofs were flat. They had wide beams. They were covered with grass and mud, easy to dig through, and there's usually an outside stairway, so it's easy to get there. And Jesus saw the hearts of these men. He saw their faith. And there's at least four ways this faith is expressed in this story. Let's cover a few. Because these are characteristics that will help you and I partner with God. These are characteristics that help you and I take a friend to Jesus, take a friend to a miracle. God's looking for those that will partner with him. Many won't get to him on their own. Many won't hear it unless someone tells them. Many won't go the extra mile unless someone invites them and someone helps them and someone assists them. So number one, let's notice when he sees their faith, he sees, number one, the concern or the compassion of their faith. These men obviously had a great care and a compassion for their friend. I mean, you've got to care if you're going to partner with God and be used of God. You know, Paul writes in the book of Philippians, the second chapter, he tells the church to consider others above themselves. 
that we should look out not just for our own interest, but also for the interest of others. And Paul goes on to write, this is the attitude of Christ Jesus. This is the attitude of the Lord. Think of all that Jesus did to get us to the Father. Think of all that Jesus went through and sacrificed and endured that you and I could know God Almighty and be sons and daughters of God. This ministry of these men is so Christ-like. It's the sincere compassion that produces a loving action. Because compassion is not just the warm feeling, but it's something that moves us to do something. It's something that produces an action to try to help the individual, to try to reach the individual, to do what it takes to bring a friend to a miracle to Jesus Christ. We look in Jesus' life, and how often that the Bible says he saw the crowd, or his heart went out to the individual. His heart went out to a community. But it didn't stop there. Then the Bible says he would feed them or he would teach them or he would heal them or he would touch them or he would weep. He would move. He would do something to assist them. This is like the story Jesus told of the Good Samaritan where the Good Samaritan was unwilling to pass by on the other side like others did. Like others that didn't have time, like others that really didn't have a heart of care and concern. The Good Samaritan that Jesus spoke about, he had a heart that was moved. He went out of his way. He got involved, he poured out, he drew near, he gave of himself. And we learn from this little point that everybody can do something and everybody matters. You know, there's, um, this is where it starts. If you and I really want God to use us, it starts with having a heart that cares for others. A heart that, like God, is compassionate and wants to see others come to salvation. Now, I remember the story of that young boy walking uh, along the beach and he's um he's throwing these stranded starfish back into the water but you know once the sun comes up those starfish that are stranded they're pretty much cooked unless they get back into the water and so his little kids is taking them and tossing them back in and at the same time there was an old man also walking the beach and he saw the kid and he said son there are so many starfish all along this coast do you really think what you're doing will matter and the little kid, he looked down at the one he had in his hand. He said, I don't know, but it'll matter to this one. And you know, there's something about that. If we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to have a heart like Jesus. And it's no good just to get overwhelmed by the sheer number of need. It can overwhelm you and discourage you. But what's in my hand? Who can I touch? What individual, what small group can I make a difference in? It's not so much getting overwhelmed. Anyone can get overwhelmed and see the great need of a, of a world that is lost and mad, running from God. Nations are in trouble. Cities are in trouble. Families are in trouble. It's enough for anyone to say, forget this, us four and no more. That's too much. Instead of saying, you know what? Maybe I can't do everything, but I can do something. Maybe I can't affect every world and every individual, but there's something within my grasp that I can do to minister to a hurting person to tell the good news to someone that needs to hear it, to go the extra mile that maybe I can bring someone to the feet of Jesus and they can hear his words and they can receive his touch. I might not be able to do anything, everything, but I can do something. And there's always something we can do. Let's be faithful to do that. These men had, number one, their faith was demonstrated by the concern and the compassion they had for their friend. But secondly, not only were they concerned, they had a confidence. This is important. These men had faith to believe that Jesus could and Jesus would meet the need. We must have such faith if we're really going to bring people to Christ. 
If we're really going to boast in the Lord, if we're really going to tell people with a certainty that our God is a good God and a faithful God and Jesus can save you and Jesus can transform you, we don't believe it. We're not going to communicate it with too much sincerity and too much authority. But we need to have a confidence of faith that simply says, Lord, I believe you can and I believe you will. If I do my part, Lord, I know you're going to do yours. I might be limited, but you're not limited. I believe that if I partner with you, you'll honor my works, you'll honor my prayers, and you'll go where I can't go. And together we can see lives raised up walking once again. Somebody say amen. This is why we are so bold. This is why we have to be a determined people, for we believe that our God can. And that needs to be the model of every minister, the source of confidence and strength, a motivation. Jesus can make a difference. Jesus can transform a life. Jesus can break that hold. So many lives are struggling. So many lives feel entangled. They're, they're, they're held by this. They're held by things in their past. They're held by things in their present. But we've got good news. Our God can. Our God can. He can break that chain. He can heal that heart. He can lift you up. He can give you a brand new day to minister effectively. We must have a confidence. Faith has a confidence. They wouldn't have gone through all that if they really didn't believe. But we can just get them to Jesus. Everything is going to be all right, but we need to have a confidence in the master and in his message, in the savior and in the scripture. We believe what the Bible says. We believe the precious promises of God. They're for today. They're for you. They're for whosoever will. And we can just get them to hear that word and get them to the place of receiving this Jesus. We believe our God can. He can save to the uttermost. And he can make the vilest sinner clean, bring him to Jesus, and he can clean him up. He can reach the farthest runaway. He can lift up the lowest of the fallen, Jesus Christ. He can mend your life, Jesus Christ. He can make your whole. He can reach into places a psychiatrist can't even see, and he can heal, and he can mend. He can lift you up above situations that you don't think you could ever get out of. But our God is mighty to save. Our God is a glorious to deliver. He'll work in your life. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He can make a way. He can move the mountain. He can calm the storm. There is nothing too hard for him to do. Our God can. Our God can. We trumpet it forth. And we must believe that. And we must expect that. And we must express that. And let the world know our God can. We have the answer for man. For the young and for the old. For the rich and for the poor. We have the answer. This gospel still works. His blood still cleanses. His power still lifts you up and sets you free. Oh, friend, he'll heal your hurting, wounded heart and he'll make you brand new. There's a confidence where we believe that our God will and can make a difference in a life. And so we teach it and so we tell it and so we pray it with an expectation. We're moved. Not hoping something good will happen, but knowing if they'll hear this message, this word will not return empty. If we can get them to the place where they can be touched by this power, they'll never again be the same. These men had faith. Jesus saw their faith. But faith is more than just platitudes. I believe, I believe there's an action of faith. Faith without works is a dead thing. It's a a non-biblical thing. It's not real. The faith of the Bible is a faith that can be seen in its action. 
it was seen for their great compassion. They went the extra mile. They refused to quit because they loved their friend. Oh, God, give us hearts that really love others. Oh, God, give us hearts that really care and have a compassion for even the least of them. That we'll go the extra mile to do our part to bring them to a miracle, to bring them to Jesus. Oh, God, give us hearts that are full of faith that believes that you can transform any life and you can heal any brokenness, that you are the answer, the only way to salvation, and your word is true, and your gospel is great, and your blood is still flowing this day to whosoever will. Faith had a commitment. We see a dedication. We see the endurance of faith. Faith is not easily brought to quitting. Faith is not easily brought to turning around and going back. Faith has a determination. Faith has a tenacity. We see it in the lives of these men. There's a devotion towards those that Christ died for. There's a commitment to complete the task that God has given us. There's a whatever it takes, willingness and fortitude to do our part. But friend, let's be honest, it's not always easy to bring your friend to a miracle. It's not always easy to bring others to Christ. Things will try to discourage you. Things will try to hinder you and harass you. And if we're not willing to endure some disappointments, if we're not willing to overcome some obstacles, we won't produce much in in this kingdom. The Bible is very clear. Galatians 6 and 9, it must be something that we never forget. The Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. Even in doing good, you can get tired. Even in trying to do that which is noble and God-honoring and in the will of God, you can get tired even doing good things. Somebody say amen. amen. That's why half the people quit after two weeks. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there's a timing. There's a season. You can't give up. Because the Bible says, we will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. You will see that life change. You will see that answer comes. You will see wonderful things happen. If we don't give up somebody, don't give up. Keep praying for that loved one. Keep believing for that miracle. Keep sowing that seed. Keep taking that stand. Keep loving them with the love of Jesus. Keep praying for them. And keep talking with them. And keep inviting them. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Don't grow weary in doing good. If you've grown weary, just get a fresh altar and say, Lord, refresh me. Lord, refresh me. The battle is exhausting at times. Laboring is exhausting at times. Trying to run this race and not coast is exhausting at times. Lord, give me a freshness. Give me, renew my strength as I wait on thee, O God. Because I don't want to grow weary in doing good. Because I know you promised that at the right time, I will reap a harvest. I will see an answer. I will see my efforts bear fruit if I don't give up. And I'm going to make up my mind. I'm not giving up. Can you say amen? Oh, I don't give up. Whatever it takes. So the Bible calls this the fight of faith. Paul speaks of a labor of love. Our love has a labor to it. Our expression of love has effort to it. Effort to it. We're battling for the souls of men. Battling for your soul if you're within the sound of my voice battling for your soul. That you'll get saved. And not just get your fire insurance, but you'll get on fire for Jesus. And you'll give God your all. And you'll serve him faithfully and wholeheartedly. 
that you'll find your place in the battle lines and you'll roll up your sleeves and you'll give God your very best and let God use your life to bring others to Jesus, to bring others to their miracle. These men wouldn't be denied. Their faith was shown in their determination to overcome the obstacles, to press through towards the things that would resist them and turn others back. Think about it. They could have said, forget it. Let's turn back. We tried. We carried them all this way. We can't even get near the place. They won't let us in. Even though we're carrying a sick man, they still won't let us near the place. We've tried. What's the use? We've given it our best. Can't even push them through a window. They're sitting in the windows. Maybe someone else can do it. Maybe it wasn't for us to do. But instead, what a beautiful story. I love Ruth, Tear, and Faith. Come on, someone say amen. It's too easy to give up, too easy to try twice, say it must not be God. That's not God at all. If you heard from God the first time, then dig in and press on until the breakthrough comes. Oh, come on. Oh, Lord, I better pull myself back. I'm getting ready to run with that. We, we can't, we, sometimes, sometimes what is nothing but spiritual laziness we use saying it must not have been God. Well, listen, if it was God a week ago when you heard his voice, it's God a week later when things get tough. I'll get back to the notes. Calm down. All right. Hallelujah. Instead, these men, they refuse to let difficult circumstances discourage them and defeat them. See, when it comes to ministering to people, don't be too quick to quit. Go the extra mile. Like Jesus did for you and me. It will be worth it. The cause of Christ is worth it. The souls of men are worth it. The sacrifice, the effort, it's all worth it. These men were committed to the task, the ministry, the love of their friend, the cause before them. So when opposition reared its ugly head and the enemy will fight your ministry, the enemy will attempt to frustrate and discourage your ministry, your sincere attempt to go forward in the Lord. Your sincere attempts to serve God as God wants you to serve Him. He'll fight you. He'll discourage that. He'll try to distract that. He'll try to hinder that. That's what He does. But these men, when opposition reared its ugly head, they had a beautiful response. They said, listen, we'll tear the roof off this thing if we have to. I like that. Roof tearing faith. But one thing's for sure, we will get our friend to Jesus. And all we can say to the spectators and the naysayers is look out below for flying shingles. We're going to bring our friend to Jesus. There's a determination. There might only be three of them. But these three will get the best Sunday school lesson I can give them. It might only be a handful that come by my door. But those that come through my door will be greeted with the most anointed smile and generous God bless you that I can muster. Everyone can't do everything, but we can do something. And what we do, we give it our very best for the glory of God. And now the enemy will try to discourage us and distract us. We are determined that we will continue and we will overcome and we will do what God has called us to do. This is the commitment that these men have. And we pray, Lord, find such commitment in our hearts. We pray, Lord Jesus, you can count on me to do my part. In your kingdom, as long as I have breath to breathe. These men had a faith. Jesus saw their faith. What did he see? He saw their concern. 
God, give us a compassion for others. Lord, we live in a world that so often is what's in it for me and we overlook others. Lord, give me a heart like your heart. Let me have compassion, Jesus, like you did. They had a compassion, a concern, but they also had a confidence. They knew if they could just get them to Jesus, Jesus could do the rest. They believed if they could just get them to that place where the word of God could come into his heart, life would come. We must believe the same thing. If we'll just do our part, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is able. He'll do his part. Boy, they had a commitment. But any time you and I decide to go forward in God, there will be resistance. You might be here today maybe just trying to get back on track with God and it might go good for a while, then hell seems to throw the kitchen sink at you. Well, don't get discouraged. Join the rest of us. It's a fight of faith. The devil doesn't want you going forward. He knows how dangerous you are to his kingdom. He knows as you keep walking with God, your life is going to bless others. Your life is going to affect others. You have a ministry. You have a calling. You have a destiny in your life and the devil will do whatever he can to discourage you and to frustrate you and just get you if he can't keep you from heaven he doesn't want you to bring anyone else with you if he can't keep you from heaven he doesn't want you touching or blessing anyone else along the way so you might get saved and you might come back but he'll try to discourage you from giving of yourselves and joining the fight and locking arms with the rest but jesus says let faith come alive and let there be a determination let there be a fortitude let there be a tenacity in your heart that whatever it is god's called you to you you'll be found faithful you'll be found working you'll be found ready when the master comes lastly they had a cooperation this is beautiful you know i mean there's a guy on a mat and he's paralyzed you got to have at least you got to have maybe four to carry the guy one can't carry him certainly can't go him through the roof they had a cooperation cooperation you know philippians 1 and 27 Paul says something very interesting, and he uses this one phrase. In one, one, one translation, he says, contending is one man. Contending is one man for the faith of the gospel. But let's look at this together. I love this verse here. Paul says, now whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever comes your way, remember you represent Jesus. Remember, whatever happens, whatever negative things hit you, whatever path life takes you, just remember, you're a child of God and you represent Jesus. So whatever happens, let's conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then Paul says, whenever I come and see you or only hear about you, I'll know this. Paul says, this is what God would like to see. God would like to see a people that are standing firm in one spirit. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things, but there should be a unity of heart and a unity of purpose and a unity of faithfulness that together we're on the same team, that together we're for the same cause, the cause of Christ. Though though some might do this thing and some might do that thing and some might be visible and some might be behind the scenes, but it's all for the cause of Christ. It's all to bring our friend to a miracle, to bring men and women to hear the words of Jesus and be touched by his power. So Paul says, I know that you'll stand firm, stand firm in one spirit, striving together, working together as one for the faith of the gospel. He's speaking about their cooperation. These men needed one another. One couldn't get the job done, two probably couldn't. They had to work together in harmony and unity and teamwork. We need to get along and we need to get involved. We need to do both. Because we can do so much more together than we could ever do alone. Everybody's needed. 
Teamwork is essential. You know, because of the lack of cooperation, many people are dropped in their mad of affliction and never get there. Because many are not responding to the call to service or the invitation to involvement. Some are being ignored and they're not getting to the place where they could hear his voice and be touched by his power. Everyone must do their part. You know, you think about how things work just in a typical church. I get blessed typically, you know, when you see um, the Chris bring in those precious great nieces of theirs. <laughs> Three, four of them, sometimes it seems like a boatload. I mean, there's a beautiful, and, and they bring them. Got to bring them, amen? Got to get that part of the, of, the, of the map that just brings them. But then when they bring them, they hand them off to Amy. And Amy and that group, I mean, I walk by, I walk through the children's church a few times each week. It's in my office area. And I see they're prepared. I see the lessons they do. I see how things are set up. Uh, They know if they can bring them, they can hand them off, and Amy will take care of her part. Amen? And now Amy's got her, I mean, it works together. There's cooperation in this. Amen? The other day I went, went to the office and I... Christina and I were driving into the office. I saw um, Dave Tanner's um, golf cart. Looked like he had a bug sprayer in the back. I'm thinking, what's he doing, spraying bugs? I mean, he's always getting into something. What's Dave doing? And uh, my wife says, no, that's a vacuum cleaner. Vacuum cleaner? Weird vacuum cleaner. Anyhow, we get in the office, and there's Brother Dave, and he's making copy for Royal Rangers. Now, if you want to see Brother Dave glow, ask him about Royal Rangers, all right? He just gleams. He gets all excited. He gets pumped up. He'll talk to you for a half an hour. I mean, he'll just go, all right? He loves it. And I said, Dave, what you got in the back of that golf cart of yours? Looks like you're spraying bugs. He goes, no, that's not a bug killer. That's a vacuum cleaner. I said, man, lesson number two, always listen to your wife. Amen. Another sermon another sermon for another day. I said, what do you mean a vacuum cleaner? Oh, pastor this is from a wednesday night royal ranger thing it's an illustration that i'm going to use the guys and how jesus I'm going to put some dirt on a part of a carpet and we're going to show them how jesus cleans us how jesus cleans our hearts oh man oh, i'm telling you you see so i know we've got the missionettes and the sunday school and the rangers all week long they're praying youth group they're praying and they're preparing and they're getting ready um, to do their part now, someone else has to do their part and bring them there. Someone has to do their part to invite them. See, we, we can touch people for Jesus. We, we can do it by intercession. That's praying for them. I mean, we can all pray for our loved ones. We can all pray for neighbors. We can all pray for... There's intercession, and then there's communication. We can talk to people about the Lord, can't we? We can tell them about the Lord. We can share the goodness of God. There, there's intercession, there's conversation, and there's invitation. We can invite them, can we not? I mean, Brother Torres, always, always making them copies for his Wednesday night things, giving out to the men for the Bible study, uh, inviting them, inviting them, inviting them. How will they respond if they don't hear? They won't come, most likely, if they're not asked. So come on, come on, come on. There's cooperation. There's all week long there's people preparing. And then there's people studying. And they're getting ready. Whether it's three of them or 13 of them. They're getting ready to believe that God is going to use them to speak that word. To touch them. Whatever group that's in. Amen. And then there's a... And then there's some, they're holding that. The parents are bringing them and the ministers are, are ready and preparing to serve and minister good to them. And then, you know, there's, there's a board that is so generous. Anything with ministry, go ahead, spend the money. Can, can we do this? Oh, it's going to oh, bless the kids. Bless the, you see. And then every Tuesday, every Tuesday, and it's mostly the older saints because it's during the week and you got to pretty much be retired to get there. Every Tuesday right here, right in this group. There's 15 or 20 of them crying out to God every Tuesday morning. 
And before I let them pray for themselves, you got to spend the first season just pray for the church. Pray for every ministry. Pray for every minister. If you can't think of their names, the people you sit by, even if you don't know their names, just pray for that family. Pray for that young couple that's married. Pray for the children. I mean, and so you've got bathing the whole thing. I mean, it takes cooperation to get the job done. Praying for them and you're greeting them and you're inviting them. And when they get there, someone's prepared to give them something worth coming out for. And then after the fact, there's an office that's always calling and always writing and always find your part and give God your best. Find your part and give God your best. But do something. Be involved doing something. Because we need everyone to get the job done. Hallelujah. You see these men, their faith was expressed in their cooperation to bring their friend to Jesus. But things will come, and if everyone's not doing their part, it's so easy to fall. It's so easy not to be able to get the job done, the cooperation. Hallelujah. Jesus saw the hearts of these faithful men. Jesus saw the heart of this one sick, paralyzed man. He looks down and he sees before him this man that has been lame. And the interesting thing is, first thing that Jesus does is addresses his spiritual condition before he ministers to his physical condition. He perceives that his heart, he sees the man. And before Jesus heals the body, he deals with his soul. But you know, forgiveness is the most important and the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. Every one of us needs this miracle, and every one of us can have this miracle. The arms of heaven's grace are open wide. Whosoever will, you can come and receive Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins. I need this miracle. You need this miracle. If you're here today, make sure you've received and experienced the forgiveness of sins. It's the most important thing. And make sure you've personally received Christ and you are publicly walking and living for Christ. Salvation, the eternal versus the temporal. Salvation meets the greatest need. We need this. Every one of us are sinners and need a Savior. Salvation meets the greatest need. Salvation costs the greatest price. All Jesus is going to do here, speak that word. All he did to create the universe, speak the word. But in order to forgive us of sins, he has to go to a cross. He has to endure our judgment and take our penalty. Oh, salvation. It meets the greatest need and it costs the greatest price. But thank God it brings the greatest and most lasting results. You can get a physical healing today, you're going to die someday. Hmm? But this salvation lasts forever and forever and forever. Glory to God. That's the greatest one. That's the greatest one. He, Jesus saw the heart of the man. And you know what? Jesus ministers to hearts. Of course, he saw the man's faith. He allowed his friends to bring him. He cooperated with them beyond the faith for healing. He saw the man's heart that needed forgiveness of sins and needed salvation. It's a beautiful thing to expand on this wonderful thought that the Almighty God sees and ministers to the hearts of men. He's more than just outwardly, and there's needs outwardly. There are practical social needs outwardly. But the greatest need anyone has is that inside need. The need of the heart, the need of the soul. It's a wonderful study to take a Wednesday night and just expound on it. 
But our God is a God that the Bible says He searches hearts. He searches hearts. But He's also a God that cleans hearts. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Aren't you glad that He's cleansed your heart today? Aren't you glad the blood, the precious blood of Jesus has washed you and made you clean today? He cleanses hearts. And not only that, He cleanses hearts, but you know, sometimes hearts get wounded and damaged and hurt through this world that is, oh, sometimes it can be rough. And Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach this gospel and to heal broken and wounded hearts. You might be here today and your heart might be wounded and bruised, but there is a healing oil from heaven, the Holy Spirit of God, that if you'll just come to Jesus, say, Lord, 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 that situation, those words, that thing that I went through, it still wounds me. It's still raw on the inside. Would you touch my heart with your healing power, with your, with your spiritual oil? Oh, touch me, Lord, and heal my heart. And he'll touch your heart. And he'll begin to mend areas that have been damaged by life and all the consequences of which we live. He's a God that searches hearts and he cleanses hearts and he heals hearts. And you know what the psalmist said? He strengthens our hearts. God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Amen? You're going through something, God will strengthen your heart. You're going through a tough time right now, say, Lord, strengthen my heart. That I can go through this and keep the faith. That I can go through this and keep my song. That I can go through this and keep my good testimony. And keep my confidence in the Lord. Oh God, strengthen my heart. And I can walk and talk and believe as a proper ambassador for Jesus Christ. He's a God of the hearts. How the great prophet Ezekiel wrote about the day. He's looking forward to the day you and I live in. And God creates in us a new heart. He gives us new hearts. Prophet said he'd take out that old stony heart, amen? That old rebellious heart. And he gives us a brand new heart, a heart of flesh. Aren't you glad he gave you a new heart, amen? Oh, hallelujah. God is a God of hearts. Jesus, the miracle of his perception, he looked and saw the faith of the poor man. He saw the great need of the sick man. Greater need than even paralysis was a paralysis of the heart. Then we see this lastly, He saw the hearts of those Pharisees and those teachers and those religious leaders. Now, we won't spend much time here. Again, this is just another that we could take on a Wednesday and begin to look at the various scriptures that support our thoughts. This is very helpful, but I won't labor on it. May this teach us. Saw their hearts. They were being very critical. And judgmental. Who does he think he is? But you know, you can't even think when Jesus is around. Amen. He, he knew what they were thinking. <laughs> and, and, and here's an interesting thought here. This can teach us to guard our hearts from what we can call the faith destroyers. We can avoid certain attitudes and certain things that will keep us and hinder us from receiving from God and going forward in God. There are certain things that we have to guard our hearts because it will keep us from the blessing of the Lord. You know, these men had every spiritual advantage you could imagine. They knew the scriptures from the time they were children. They were raised up to be teachers of the law. They knew the law. that Their life was one of. And in, and in history, this group of men did a lot of good things for the nation. But biblically, most of the time, they're painted in the negative era, era you know, with a negative brush. Because of simply, if you study it, we see that throughout the gospel stories, for the most part, these men seem to be very critical. The attitude of these religious leaders that kept them 
from seeing Jesus for who he was, for receiving the blessing. They were men that were very critical. They criticized Jesus. They said, that's not God. He's just a God, another spirit. They criticized him. Very dangerous to have a critical spirit. They complained an awful lot. He's not following our rules. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's not doing things the way we like things done. He's kind of breaking up our thing. They complained a lot. When you study it, you see that. They were very complacent. You know, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, they knew exactly where and when he was going to be born, and they were just a few miles away, and they didn't even go. Shepherds went, others went, everyone else was right. But these men that knew it all could care less. Dangerous thing to get complacent towards God. To think we got it all. To think we've arrived. None of us have arrived. Amen. We all need more of the Lord. These men are very callous. Even in a place where Jesus himself was teaching the word. Luke says in the power of the Lord was present in a special way. To heal the sick. They received nothing. They just criticized what was being done. It's a terrible thing to become callous. Will the word of the Lord Jesus just kind of like water off a duck's back. You see, you can be in the right place but have the wrong attitude and miss out on the blessing of God. These men knew their Bibles. I mean, from the time they were children, they had the Pentateuch memorized. First five books of the Bible. They had it memorized as kids. They knew the Bible. They're in the place where the scripture says power of God was there in a special measure. Jesus himself was the speaker. Now, you can't get something out of Jesus' word of ministry. You, you, not, you know, you, you, you're just not getting it. Isn't that right? I mean, the rest of us stumble and stutter and we got our problems. You know, I mean, the rest of us human speakers, we got, but when Jesus is talking, he is the word. <laughs> and he can expound that word. You know what? They right got nothing out of it. Instead of receiving, instead of responding, instead of embracing, criticized. No wonder why they didn't get a lot out of it. Hallelujah. You see, I want to receive from God. I don't want to miss the blessing of God. I don't want to be a finicky person. I want to be one that receives and responds. I think it's very important that we have certain attitudes in our lives that help us to receive and respond. Let us be a people that stay holy and humble and hungry. Those are characteristics that will help us be receivers. I don't want to just be in the right place. I want to receive what God has to give. I want to hear what God is saying. I want to be holy. I don't want to live with a criticalness that quenches the spirit. I don't want to live in a way where I grieve the spirit and therefore it's hard for me to get it. It's hard for me to discern it when others are getting it so easily. I want to stay humble. Because the Bible says it's that humble attitude that God draws near to. It's that humble attitude that God lifts up and God promotes. I want to stay humble, which simply means, Lord, I recognize I need more. I haven't arrived yet, Lord. I'm longer, farther than I used to be, but Lord, I'm still not there yet, and I need more of you, Lord. That's the kind of heart God draws near to. That's the kind of heart that God is attracted to, and I want to stay hungry. I want to stay hungry for more of the Lord. You know, the Bible says that Those that diligently seek God get the reward of God. Now those that are hungry and thirsty, God fills and God satisfies. A believing faith is a responding faith. So Jesus looked at the hearts of these leaders, these religious leaders, and he saw what they were thinking. He recognized their attitude. And there's no wonder throughout the Bible that these men rarely received anything from God. 
but you and I can learn. See, we can learn from people's pluses, and we can learn from people's negatives. Amen? We can learn from the good things and say, Lord, I want to imitate that. Or we can learn from people's negatives and say, Lord, help me to avoid that. These Pharisees teach you and I that I want to guard my heart from being critical and callous and complacent when it comes to the Word of God and the moving of the Spirit of God. Instead, I want to learn from those that are receptive. I want to learn from these men and have a hunger that will press through even if there's some discouragements and oppositions along the way. I want to have a faith that believes if I can get close to Jesus, everything will be all right. If I can get to the place where Jesus can speak into my heart, His Word will take on a fresh life and minister in a dynamic way. I want to believe that if I can just get my friends and my loved ones to the place where they can be touched by His power, they can sit in His presence, they can hear His voice, they'll be changed forevermore. I'll do my part to bring my friend to a miracle and I know Jesus will take it from there. Can you say amen? Amen. Wind down. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They did change those clocks. Mine, they usually never do. Usually I get an extra hour. You know what I mean? Amen. Something like that. I don't know. I'm backwards. Number one, the miracle of Christ's perception. Number two, the miracle of Christ's power. This man was carried in. You're left under his own power. Everyone saw it. There's no trick, no sleight of hand. When Jesus does it, Jesus does it. Amen? Men, men have to play things. Men have to, but not Jesus. He, he don't need it. He, he, don't, he don't need get on the organ. He don't need any of that. When his power is manifested and demonstrated, it'll bear every test. It can stand any witness and any scrutiny. He's alive and he's working his wonders today. The miracle of his power. They all saw it. They were amazed. They were, um, they, 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 we never seen anything like this. They glorified God. Whew. Clear demonstration of his power. And lastly, the miracle of Christ's pardon. Going back to verse 5. Your sins are forgiven. There's the greatest miracle. Pardon from sin. To be pardoned means to be free from the penalty. An official release of a legal punishment. Pardon. You know, it's the miracle of Christ's pardon that brings us here today. It's the miracle that brings you and I to God's house, that made us family, that gave us this great salvation to enjoy, that gives us an assurance of a heaven to look forward to. As we close down our story this morning, let's remember, number one, the eternal over the temporal. Temporal things are important, but the eternal is the most important. So make sure if you're here today, you've received Christ and you've received the pardon and the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. No one else can. Make sure you got that. Amen? But for the bulk of our story, we've talked about the privilege of bringing our friends to Jesus. The privilege of bringing our friends to Jesus. Everybody... Let's do our part. It can be as simple as getting up and taking the extra effort to make sure your kids get to Sunday school, to make sure you're faithful to get them so they can get to children's church. It can be as simple as making the extra effort to get to Bible study if you're a young believer and you just got to know you might be tired at times, but you need that Bible study. You, You need that ministry. You need to get to that place. It's making that effort. Everyone, let's do our part. You might not be a teacher, but you can be a greeter. 
You, you might not have a, a, a voice to sing and you croak like me, but that's all right. There's other places where there's needs and where if you'll just do your part, God will anoint you and God will take it from there. I've seen stories in time. One of my dearest friends, he finally retired, um, built one of the finest churches in the suburbs of Syracuse. And he tells the story about being very skeptical, just coming out of Catholicism, being very skeptical. And his wife started going to a church in the Syracuse area back in the 70s where right revival was hitting that charismatic renewal. And he goes, I went just because I kind of was leery about what kind of holy rollers my wife was starting to visit. Amen. He was just a young contractor. And um, he goes, I got to the service and got deathly ill, deathly ill. He goes, man, I don't know what hit me. And my wife had to help me an usher, an usher, he said. Kind enough to help me get to the car. And he's a big power lifter of a guy. Got me to the car. Asked my wife, do you want me to drive home with you to make sure he gets okay? She says, no, I can get him there. We got neighbors if I need help. And he goes, I was so impressed. By the time we got in the door, about 10 minutes later, the phone rang. This is before the days of cell phones and computers. Somehow he had found our name, our number, and was calling my wife to make sure she got me in okay. And it was in that moment I said, man, this thing must be real. These people aren't just a bunch of phonies, because that's what he thought. These people aren't just a bunch of religious, you know, religious fanatics. They wound up building one of the finest churches in Baldwinsville, um, New York. He wound up being a great preacher of the gospel and a leader in the denomination. But his testimony goes back to an usher, to an usher that did his part to lift up his part. They recognize everybody has a part and everybody matters. And he didn't have a great testimony. They heard a great message from a preacher or that the healing power of God was flowing. His testimony was, I knew it was real when there was an usher that was sincere and went the extra mile to care for me and express the love and compassion of God to me. I'm just trying to say that, that everyone has a corner of this mat that they can get a hold of. Amen? And we work together because we got to get them to Jesus. And everyone's part is important. And everyone's part is needed. Everybody, let's say, Lord, you can count on me to do my part. Here today as we close, if you need to receive forgiveness, as we sing the last song, come to the altar. Someone will pray with you. Someone will lead you in a prayer to receive the forgiveness of God to receive the pardon that only Christ can give. Now, if you have special needs, if you've come in, you need to be anointed with oil, more than happy. He's still healing the sick. He's still strengthening the weary. If you need a touch from God and you like prayer, come on, we'd love to pray with you. And for the rest of us, listen, if we need to make a fresh commitment to service this morning, let's all respond to heaven's invitation. Let's do it. See where you are, see where the needs are, and make yourself available. Everybody can do something, and everybody matters. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand with me, please, and let's pray our prayer, and then we'll open the altars. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.